welcome everybody to our program tonight. I'm Rick Brown filling in for Pastor Rob McCoy, who's out and uh, really a coup's happening because the Steve Noble show is taking over. This is our guest and Steve Noble is um, on a, well, is not on. I'm part of a coup, apparently. Yeah, you're taking over this studio to make it the Steve Noble Show. So, right, right, the West Coast version. Yeah, exactly, because you're on the East Coast with uh, three uh, 32s um, radio stations, yeah, syndicated yeah. radio program, the Steve yeah. Noble Show. Yeah. And give us, um, the group, just a, a brief um, overview of your Christian Talk radio program. Okay, um, <clears throat> so I met... Your pastor, your senior pastor, your stripping senior pastor, my dad, uh, uh, on a trip to Israel last year. So in North Carolina, our lieutenant governor currently, Dan Forrest, who's a great believer, great friend, brother in Christ. And Rob was kind of the evangelical leader on the trip. And uh, he's remarkably obnoxious. And it's amazing that he saved it all. So we kind of hit it off. And, and that's how we got to be friends. That's why we're out here. Rob said, hey, come on out here because we're having all kinds of fun in California and, and you can wear a face diaper and all that good stuff and you'll really enjoy it. So my wife and I are out here. Uh, Gina's my wife and we're out here. Anyway, it's great to be with you and, and thanks for your time. Uh, people will ask me that question. Yeah. What's, the, what's, your, what's your radio show about? <clears throat> it's about the same thing that our Christianity should be about. You mm-hmm. should overlay a robust biblical worldview into every nook and cranny yes. of life. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're old enough, no offense, I'm old enough to understand what a variety show is. Yes. So a Christian should be like a variety show. So I can talk to you about politics. I can talk to you about romance. I can mm-hmm. talk to you about the Song of Solomon. I can get into Proverbs. We can talk about politics. Mm-hmm. We can talk about relationships. We can talk about money. We can talk about addiction. And that's yeah. what the radio show is like. It's very schizophrenic. Yes. And people will say, well, how do you do show prep? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wake up and I pay attention. And then you engage pretty robust Christian worldview. And I've actually done it on the air a few times where I just blew off show prep and walked into the show and said, okay, I, I didn't plan anything today. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you how an effective Christian worldview operates, and I'm just going to pull up foxnews.com. Right. Go through the stories. And just engage a few yeah. stories yeah. and apply a biblical worldview. So one day it might be, I might have a, a seminary professor on talking mm-hmm. about grace versus works or the theology of baptism, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I've got somebody on from the Trump campaign, and the next day, we're talking about uh, addictions in the church, and the next day, uh, we're looking at uh, spending, or we're talking about the economy, or worldwide banking, something. Yeah. And that's yeah. the great thing about a Christian worldview, is it allows you to mm-hmm. intellectually and theologically engage everything. Yes. Uh, and so that's it's unpredictable, what's that's gonna great. happen on the show. Yeah. So the I can't get off this this thing stuck in my head. Your favorite variety show growing up. Yeah. Had to be Hee Haw. <laughs> Glenn Campbell. <laughs> Laugh in. Everybody's like, huh? Who? Donnie and Marie. What? what? These are just a couple old yeah, guys like right. talking about these But programs. you go to a variety show for 30 minutes, usually an hour, <laughs> and it was on at a certain time. You couldn't podcast it. Yeah. And you got a little bit of everything. Yeah. It was like a buffet. It was. Now, none of it was particularly good, just like a buffet. Exactly. But at least you had a wide variety. Yeah. So, no. yeah, that's kind of the whole point. And the show's live, and like you guys do in here in the studio. Yeah. I love live radio. I can't stand pre-recording. I prefer to be on a tightrope without a net. Yeah. And whatever happens on the air happens. And, and so, just let it happen. And I think one of the things we've and talked about this. can get you in trouble, oh, too, right? You, I mean, absolutely. I, yeah. Oh, we had, <laughs> I played a clip recently of Sidney Powell talking yes. about 
the election fraud and allegations, and she's very frustrated in this clip. And at the end of the clip, she said the word uh, damn, D-A-M-N. And on one of the Christian radio stations I'm on, the owner Mm -hmm. texts me the next day and says, I had somebody call in complaining because you allowed the word damn to show up on your um, live Christian radio show, on a Christian radio station. And uh, we need to talk about that. Now, if that's the hill we're going to die on as Christians in America, no wonder we're wearing face diapers. I mean, it's just, it's just madness. But I try to maintain my sense of humor as well. They should definitely have the Steve Noble show uh, unscripted live. With a delay. Exactly. Yeah. It's old school. They just take care of it, right? They, that's right. What's a 10-second delay? They can yeah. just beat yeah. that out or, right. or whatever. Do you have one on here? No delay. Okay. No, no, I'll watch my mouth. It's really raw, really. Excellent. Just, it, it's just flying here. Now, I mean, I don't think you wake up, say you're 12 years old, you wake up in the summer before you go for a bike ride down to your local pool when you're 12 and say, you know, I'm going to be a radio personality. <laughs> that happened to you? You got to tell me the story. How, how in no. the world? No. You're listening to Paul Harvey, right? the rest, of, right, the the rest story. of the story. Once again, we just lost half the audience because they don't yeah. know who we're talking about. But yeah, they can wallow in their ignorance. So that's yeah. fine. You're all, it's forgiven. You're fine. It's, it's okay because you have yeah. a youthful haircut and There's, you're, you're retaining you. the audience because, <laughs> you, you know, and they can't see it. You have skinny jeans. He's right, got skinny, skinny jeans, jeans the whole nine. And I, Tennis so, shoes with a really bright <laughs> heel on them. I know whatever that means. Our daughter picked those for us. Okay, that's a great, anyway. that's a great question. Uh, and if you're a parent, pay attention to the answer. Uh, I had no clue that I would be in radio or even be a Christian activist or be involved in any of the things I'm involved in today. My wife and I weren't even saved. We were married in 92, born again in 94. We were equally unequally yoked when we got married. Mm -hmm. She grew up Catholic. I grew up Protestant. For me, essentially nothing. Mm -hmm. Mainline denominations, Presbyterian, Methodist. But I did grow up in 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 what I would call an aggressive communication environment. My parents loved language. Uh, I think is argument. They were married for 64 years. My dad went to be with the Lord two years ago. And in our house, I'm the last of four kids, if you couldn't handle yourself verbally, if you couldn't take that kind of jousting and that kind of uh, abuse, then that wasn't going to go well for you. So I grew up very snarky, Mm smart-alecky, always quick with a return, Mm -hmm. but also, unfortunately, really quick to rip into people. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just how I grew up. When I got saved, when we got saved in 94... You turn around and you can see all this, all this garbage that the world and, and Satan himself used for evil, God could turn around and use yes. it for good. Yeah. So my aggressiveness as a communicator and my ease in, in front of a group and not, not being afraid of putting my opinion out there, yeah. once the Holy Spirit got control of it, he could shape it into something that would glorify him instead of embarrass him. Yeah. And so as you look, turn around and look back at, at your life, you can see how... God designed you in a certain way Mm -hmm. that this kind of gets into the theology of a vocation and a calling that maybe not a specific job with a specific employer, but like if your kid comes home one day and says, I think I want to teach clarinet to fourth graders. As parents, we're usually like, you're not going to make enough money. That's a nice, cute thing. I really respect that. That's so nice. (laughs) But we're thinking about making money and you very well in turning your kid's direction could be thwarting God's will in their life. Mm -hmm. And because we got saved later, <clears throat> I, didn't, I wasn't aware of what's going on. I started listening to Rush Limbaugh when I was, I think, 25 or 26. 
I didn't realize that God was really preparing me, mm-hmm. even before I was saved, to be on my part of his wall yeah. to help build the kingdom. Yeah. And so radio was kind of an extension of becoming an activist in 2004, mm-hmm. which I wasn't looking for. And then because I was comfortable in front of a camera mm-hmm. and communicating, then radio came to me. Yeah. And now the thing with Christian radio, shh, it's a secret. It's who can get on the Christian radio? Anybody. Stroke a check, raise some money, you can get on Christian radio. Yeah. Uh, staying on Christian radio and being effective on Christian radio are two different things. But they, they saw something in me. It's actually Stu Epperson, senior and junior. Stu Sr. started Salem Broadcasting, which is enormous. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's, Steve, you should be on the radio. I should? Yeah, you should. And the very first day I did it, I, it was like I had found my vocation. I found my calling. Yeah. And it all fit like a glove. And people that had known me for years are like, this is a no-brainer. And that's obvious. where you need to it's listen. It's obvious once it happens. You need to listen to other people, and, and there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I found my place on the wall, mm-hmm. which God had reserved for me and created me for. Isn't it fascinating? I wonder how many guys in radio that, that Rush Limbaugh yeah. inspired in that, oh, man. you know, and led the way uh, for them to get involved. All the... I mean, obviously, they're doing a podcast today. You have the Ben Shapiro's, mm-hmm. the people that are in that political, uh, conservative uh, headspace yeah. and really engaging the culture mm-hmm. in a very relevant way. Yeah, one of the things, yeah. like, with your guys' association, with Rob's association, with Charlie Kirk, one of the things mm-hmm. I saw, like, uh, this may offend a few people. We, I started a brand-new podcast earlier this year called Who Is This SOB? Mm-hmm. It's not Super Outspoken Baptist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not Son of a Baptist. It's what you think it is. Yeah. And the purpose of that podcast was to try to engage people that are never going to come to church. They're mm-hmm. never going to listen to Ben Shapiro. They're never going to check out Christian media. And you kind of got to approach them in a way that would catch their attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was engaging some of the most popular podcasts out there with a Christian worldview. But the trick is doing it in such a way that they won't just dim- dismiss you and write you off. So as soon mm-hmm. as they find out this is a hardcore white, evangelical, Southern Baptist talking about some of the most popular podcasts in America, uh, their, their natural inclination is going to be, who is this SOB? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, it's me. That's you. And yeah. then in the intro, I say, and if, if you listen for long enough, maybe you'll find out I'm not quite the SOB you expect me to be. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this before. Right. If you're an evangelical Christian with a conservative worldview and a conservative politic, you know what the world thinks of you. Right. Right? Yeah. You know what their assumptions are in terms of how you act and how you look at people and how you treat people. So then I try to go out of my way, sometimes uncomfortably, to be loving and compassionate and patient mm-hmm. and listen. Yeah. And just dial it down a little bit. It's okay to laugh. Yeah. And you may turn me off because we say uh, damn on the radio mm-hmm. or I have a podcast called Who Is This SOB? Mm-hmm. But I think lost souls are worth it, even yeah. if it's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that that zone of the uncomfortable is oftentimes the thing that is keeping uh, being a very conservative pastor from bridging a gap to reach this culture, mm-hmm. right? The, it's safer over here. Mm-hmm. We live in an echo chamber of those who just say what we say and believe what we believe, right? This is safe. And it's the we four and more, no more. And to bridge that gap takes courage. It's messy. It's awkward. We're gonna get. We're gonna take some shots for right. it. And and that's the uncomfortable divide that I think, uh, especially a year like 2020, if there's no year that will goad you 
into right. engaging. Yeah. Uh, and you have extra time on your hands, by the way, too. That's for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Yeah. To push you over that divide. And what's one of the most awkward things that you, you stepped into um, that, that even stretched Stephen Noble? Because I, I just sense from your, um, uh, your personality, your demeanor, you're ready to mix it up, you know, sure. just in your personality. So what, what does it take to get Steve in really uncomfortable waters? That's a great question. There, my own sin is one. Oh, yeah. That'll get me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I'll you're not go doing, back. You're not doing programs on your own sin, though, right? No. Sometimes I am. If you have Gina come in, right. your wife, oh. she can talk about your own sin. Yeah, yeah. ad nauseum uh, for all eternity, which yeah. hopefully is not, not what we're going to do in heaven. But uh, I think one of the things that's the biggest challenge is to change how I look at people outside the faith and yeah. spend time with them. Yeah. I was sharing a story with you earlier, and when I first became an activist, this is back in Raleigh, North Carolina, and because so many people are apathetic and don't engage, it's really easy to become a big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Raleigh or Thousand Oaks, California, wherever you're at. Because most people are apathetic and most people don't engage. Yeah. And so if you're willing to step out and step into it, uh, the cameras and the attention will come to you. And other people will rally around you because in many ways, you're kind of carrying the water maybe they wish they could carry. Yeah. But, but you're somebody that's willing to step up in the front. So mm-hmm. stuff will generally come your way. Um, but early on, 04, 05, 06, uh, I was very angry towards like the homosexual community. Unlike the laundry list of sins, there really isn't one in the American context or really anywhere in the world where there's a, there's a whole movement behind it to normalize it, celebrate it, and to use it as a weapon to come after the church. So I was very angry with homosexuals and the homosexual agenda, 04, 05, 06. We were fighting for the marriage amendment in North Carolina at the time. And so Chapel Hill, which is where University of North Carolina is, is like the San Francisco of the Southeast. Okay, it's uber liberal. So one year, the Chapel Hill City Council, which would fit in really well here in California, decided to make a statement. They actually actually found out they did it every year, asking for the state of North Carolina to turn over its Defense of Marriage Act and fully embrace gay marriage. So I was so aggressive at the time. I'm like, well... We don't live in Chapel Hill, but if they're going to speak into a statewide issue, we're going to show up. So I had a black pastor friend who's still a really close friend of mine. He brought two busloads of people. And we went to the Chapel Hill City Council Chambers to make a statement. Now, only one of our folks could speak because they actually lived in Chapel Hill. But I was there to kind of rub it in their face and engage. And one after another, they had uh, homosexuals, both men and women. They had their parents. And they had some pastors that were supportive of the homosexual community, get up from me to the corner of this room, which is about 10 or 12 or 13 feet, and they're getting up at the lectern sharing what they shared. And that was the first time that I actually saw them not as an enemy, but as a human being, Mm. made in the image of God, with brokenness, feeling rejected and hated. And I knew that that was pretty accurate for how I felt about them. So that really started to break me on how I was looking it at the hu- opposition. That moment humanized them yes. to realize that they're, they're people. They're, okay. Same thing happens. Uh, I work with an organization in North Carolina called Love Life. For 40 Saturdays in a row, we're out in front of abortion clinics. And from me to you, you can stand there with a, an abortion clinic escort 
who's wearing a rainbow-colored vest, who's convinced, just like Isaiah said, what do those call evil, good, and good, evil? Yeah. It's all flipped upside down. So mm -hmm. you're the enemy, you're mm -hmm. heinous, you're evil, they're noble and good and mm -hmm. doing a wonderful service. And, and now I, I see them, hopefully a little bit, the way Christ sees them. Mm -hmm. While you were yet sinners, while you were yet homosexual, while mm -hmm. you were yet escorting women into the abortion clinic to pay a black woman to pay a white doctor to kill her black baby, mm -hmm. Jesus died for you. Yeah. So yeah, you humanized them. Yes. And that yeah. really began to change my tone Yeah. and how I looked at, because we only have one enemy. Yeah. It's not your governor. It's not mine. Mm -hmm. It's not Biden. Mm. Well, maybe it's Biden, but it, 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 <laughs> it's not Kamala Harris. It's, it's Satan. Mm -hmm. He's my one true enemy. Mm -hmm. And everybody else, made in the image of God, are not. So that's what was uncomfortable for me, yeah. is to be able to engage with the truth mm -hmm. while maintaining love and compassion mm -hmm. and respect yeah. for other people outside the faith, outside our worldview. And we talk about the dignity of life. That doesn't just exist in the womb. Mm -hmm. That exists on the other side of the line. Yes. That exists with the person that yells at you for not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. And so... That, I think that was the most challenging thing is engaging people with truth while at the same time loving and caring for them, which should affect how you speak to them. Not necessarily, yes. you don't compromise. I don't compromise on the truth anywhere. Mm -hmm. But my approach has changed. That was uncomfortable. Yeah, I, if, if you could can that and sell that on a shelf at Walmart, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in that business for the church. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the thing. Just this one issue. I mean, we could go through a long list, but... The church either embraces homosexuality because they want to be, uh, they've compromised the truth and the teaching of the Bible, or it's the evilest thing on the planet, and there's hardly anybody that, it's like this DMZ zone yeah. that nobody <clears throat> functions in, and when you, when you function, it's like, here's the wall with the soldiers, here's the wall with the soldiers, and there's this big middle ground, mm -hmm. and and. That is the most uncomfortable place because as soon as I choose to move in there, what happens is the safety of being with my numbers that believe what I believe, right. they start shooting me in the back because I've taken a step towards understanding and love of the person, even though not compromising the truth, but even a step towards them, they believe I've compromised the truth. Right, that's right. And those who are on that side, they're terrified to even take a step towards you because they believe you're a fire-breathing, hateful person right. uh, that's waving your Bible. And, and the humanization is, is the key because this is how we grow up, according to Ephesians chapter 4, sharing the truth in love. Mm -hmm. and, and love without truth is hypocrisy, and truth without love is brutality. Tim Keller, I listened to this message when I was in the gym. Uh, believe it or not, uh, a few years ago, and I've listened to it I many, many it. times. I believe it. I'm thinking you're yeah, 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 yeah. Now used to be in better shape. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> Tim Keller in this sermon was talking about if you're all truth and no grace, you're a bully. Yes. And that was me. I could pound the pulpit. I could right. pound the microphone. I mm -hmm. could pound at the city council. Whatever. Yeah. And do and expound the truth. Yeah. Whammo. But I had no grace, so I was just a bully. Yeah. The opposite, to your point, yeah. if you're all grace and no truth, you got way too much of that, you're a coward. Yeah. John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus full of grace and, and truth. truth. Yes. It's not 70-30. Right. 
It's not even yeah. 50, 50. Yeah. It's 100, 100. Right. It's kind of like the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. It's, it's both of those things. Right. And I listened to that message over and over again, and it, back to this discomfort. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Because it's like, yeah. if, I, if I go through 1 Corinthians 13, which we all know if you've ever been to a wedding, it's the love chapter, right? Yeah. Love is patient. Love is kind. You get to the end of that, faith, hope, and love, <clears throat> or the early part. Hey, you can speak with the tongues of angels. Yes. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a pretty good communicator. Mm-hmm. I know how to work a mic. I know how to work a room. Mm-hmm. I know how to work a video environment. I can work a radio environment. Mm-hmm. I can say the most incredible things. But if love isn't my underlying foundational yes. motivation, Amen. here's Amen. what God yeah. hears. Blah, 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 blah. It's like clang, 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 clanging clang. gong, clanging cymbal, yeah. resounding gong, yeah. Yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Calvary Chapel, Greg Laurie, who we talked about earlier today yeah. that I worked yeah. with for yeah. years with the Harvest Crusades. When we did a Harvest Crusade in Raleigh, this is burying my soul here, okay? It's not the first time I've told this story, yeah. but it's worth repeating. Yeah. So I was the kind of the local leader of that. Three nights, 42,000 people, a couple thousand people came to faith. We had 220 churches involved. We're in a 16,000-seat arena. All three nights, because we're sitting down low, and the floor is empty for a Harvest Crusade because you're anticipating the response. The buses will wait. Yes. (laughs) So I would literally get out of my seat, go onto the floor, walk through the back, because I knew people could see me. Mm -hmm. And I thought about this later as I matured in my faith, and, and I... I'm not going to say all my motivation there was mm-hmm. wrong, but certainly mm-hmm. that was. And I thought about coming before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm like, hey, Lord, what about that the Harvest Crusade thing, man? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was all over that. And Harvest would set, probably say to this day, that was the easiest crusade they've ever had to, to organize because we were, had such great favor back in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Lord, what about that? And he might look me square in the face and say, hey, Steve, uh, that wasn't motivated by, by love. Mm-hmm. That wasn't even motivated by service to me. Mm-hmm. What you were doing was all about you. Mm-hmm. So that's, it was an awesome thing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. So what else do you have? Right. And yeah. so I, that challenges me because I'm live five days a week. Hey, when I die, would anybody describe Steve Noble as loving? Mm-hmm. Hey, he was bold. Yeah. He was courageous. Yeah. He was loud. He made a lot of great points. Was he loving? Was there anything in what I said that could stand the test of true love. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's that grace and truth. It is. That's not an easy and, bar. And I think, I mean, you cannot underestimate the power of that when people see it. Because when they see it, it when grace and truth and love and truth and actual understanding, but still bringing forth truth mm-hmm. uh, in that, that space... It resonates with the souls of people because somehow innately they know you care for them, but you also have something to share with them mm. that, that resonates. And I know for me, just because of coming from such brokenness and uh, that humanization took place through, through my family brokenness, like my brother, uh, my brother entered the homosexual lifestyle, uh, my brother died of AIDS, mm. um, my brother... Uh, was baptized in the church when he was 13, my brother, and him and I, just, just the brother relationship. Yeah. You know, we would talk, and I would, bring, I would bring the truth without love, and we'd be, you know, ready to go at each other's throats. And we, like, 25 years of this, and um, of love and truth. 
But because of that, and his friends, and his relationships, I was exposed to a lot more people of the gay lifestyle, and even, you know, hugging on my brother, telling him I love him, because the love never, never stopped. Yeah, I, I loved him. We were in different headspaces, but he loved me, and I loved him, and I was the youngest of four, like yourself, and he was the oldest. Mm. So there was that dynamic, and but as I engage anybody in that culture, I have a it's almost like this automatic heart bridge yeah. of love yeah. for that person. Yeah. Even if we had, uh, where I was for 25 years in Water Springs, we had these uh, two uh, lesbian girls that were coming to our church. And they would sit on the second row right up front, and they're hanging on each other, and they have their arms around each other, and ushers, and <laughs> everybody's wringing their hands. They're beside <laughs> themselves, and they're freaking out, you know, yeah. in a, in yeah. a, sink, a thousand-seat sanctuary. And here are these people, they're right up front. And uh, it was so classic because the people were, Pastor, you've got to do... I said, they're not believers I don't believe. They're here in church. They're checking it out. They're seeing if we're loving, if we're sharing the truth. That they're, they're. I said, don't worry. You just let them hang out here. And they... It was... Fortunately, I'd been there long enough. My team trusted me. And because they knew who, where yeah, I stood on yeah. the position. So you were like having lunch with tax collectors and sinners. Isn't that and weird? I know. It's like a Jesus who does thing. That? I don't know. It's like a Jesus thing. We should so, kill somebody that does that. So really. in our community, we used to joke our church was M&M, meth addicts and Mormons. <laughs> and so here's a couple of lesbians thrown into the mix. <laughs> and I said, we're letting the, I said, no doubt this Sunday morning there was 50, 50 people with their date, and they're in heterosexual sin. You know, and right. I just went through, and I said, and the guy that was just drunk last night, I said, all these sinners are welcome in this space, right? And But these two are not. I said, you guys, this, there's something wrong with this. Very much so, so fast forward three months, they come to service, and I said, two, one of two things is going to happen, and it always does. They're either going to get radically saved, and, you know, praise the Lord. I like my fr- another friend named Jerry there in the church. He got saved after being in the lifestyle for 25 years and a wow. meth addict. And, and, um, was he a Mormon too? He was a Mormon. He was a meth addict and he was gay. And he was gay. And he was gay. He'd been married three times trying to go straight. That's like a hat trick. It was totally a hat trick. I had to stop him after about three months though. He'd say, Pastor Rick... Four weeks, no meth, no men. And he did that for month after month. Then I finally got to that, see. Then he was the no M and no yeah. M. Right. Said, Jerry, 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 please stop telling me that. I said, I love you. You know I love you. Anyway, anyway back, back to these girls. Uh, they came up to me for prayer afterwards, after three months of coming on a weekly basis. Yeah. And I just said, what's up? I heard their issues. And then they shared with me their lifestyle. And I said, well, girls, you know, we just have this issue. And I talked it through with them and shared the gospel with them. Do you want Jesus? This is his, you know, you'll have to repent. And I told them, you guys don't get off the hook. I was a heterosexual maniac. And I said, I had to turn from my sin, girls. And you've got to turn from your sin. We're in the same boat. So they were like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. And then I saw them all over town for months after that. And they would come up to me and all of it. Hey, pastor, how are you? And they were just like, hi. I, they knew I loved them. Yeah. I shared the truth. We had relationship. My wife would say, those ladies love you. I said, I know I love them too. Yeah. I mean, it was that. And you do not know what God will do. Exactly. Yep. With those seeds in your faithfulness. That's yep. the beauty. This yep. is an incredible gig. Yeah. yeah. Being a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm like, okay, yeah. Lord, let me get this right. Tell me if I've got this job description right. Yeah. You call me to be faithful. You handle all the fruitfulness. Mm-hmm. 
and I get eternal rewards. Is that, is that, about, is that it? Is that, am I missing something? No, that's about right. Okay, sign me up. That's a good deal. So you go, hey, they, they didn't come to Christ. I would right. say they didn't come to Christ yet. Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 And I don't know that they will. The door is totally open. But you also don't know what God will do with mm-hmm. the encounter and the relationship they have with you to their friends. Yeah. Or to anybody else that watched sure. that happen yes. that might need to be convicted because they looked at them like lepers. Because oftentimes, yeah. the homosexual community, we turn them into the modern day leper. Yeah. Unclean, 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 stay on your side of the street. Yeah. We don't want people like you here at our church. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, if you find the ch- perfect church, don't go. You'll ruin it. Yeah. Well, there isn't one, obviously, in terms of, of sin. But that, that's a huge thing to us today. Trump, COVID, shutdowns, Biden and Harris, all that stuff. There's a lot of truth to be engaged there. Mm-hmm. But if you do it without grace, you're so easily dismissed. Because yeah. they expect you to come in with the hammer. We built that reputation for ourselves. Now, some people, well, I have no interest in church because you guys do this and do that. Listen, you, you always have to remember theologically that what fellowship does darkness have with light? People don't come to Christ because their deeds are dark and they don't want them exposed. I didn't want to deal with it either. And so that's always there. So, so unbelievers are going to use everything we give them and even things we don't give them to shut down the church or shut down the message or compromise mm-hmm. you or dismiss you or just say you're just a bunch of condescending, homophobic mm-hmm. Uh, uh, patriarchal haters and because you're like a little kid going la 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 I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear it so I've, I got to figure out a way to marginalize it and get rid of it got to kill God add to it middle aged white privileged that, oppressors right and then bada bing it's easy to write off and so that's I look at this environment when it's frustrating it is and go can, can we engage with the truth yes but if you do it without grace it's not going to be supernaturally empowered Mm -hmm. because you're not doing it God's way. Mm -hmm. And who did Jesus, back to your example, he walks out into the DMZ and who shot him? Both sides. Both sides, yeah. And he confounded them because he spoke as one with authority without Mm -hmm. formal training. And I always ask my fellow evangelical hardcore conservatives that are so far to the right they're about to fall off the flat earth with me. I'm like, who did Jesus hammer? Think about it for a second. Yeah. Who did he hammer? He hammered, the, he hammered the religious big mouths of the day. Yeah, the Pharisees. And the Anybody Sabbath. else? Yeah. yeah. Nope. Really gracious. And I think that when people understand that about the... And the common people heard Jesus gladly. There was so... Yes. There was such winsomeness. Yes. And there was such attraction. One of my to, favorite words, winsome. And, uh, and I think that the church, that we can be conservative and be winsome. And yeah. we, and, and win some. We want, you know, right. we, we want to be winsome right. and win some. And um, but a, a lot of times in talk radio, there is that shock factor. Yeah. There is those things that we're doing to uh, get the the uh, clicks out there or people tuning in. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking uh, earlier, and I just was fascinated with how you got into this. And you told me I was a painter. So tell me about that. Aren't all radio people starting Are, the trade? You start in the yeah. I was right. a tile setter right, in right. the ministry. It's like See? It, you know, hey, the boss was a carpenter. Exactly. So if you're not in the trade, you're actually a lesser <laughs> Christian, right? I think. Are we saying that? We're not. It's just a joke. Everybody relax. Uh, I'm a tile setter. He's a painter. There's no white privilege. That's right. We didn't own a plantation. Although you've said white privilege several times now. So there's a young black guy that's a believer that. Uh, 
I did a thing with him at Oklahoma Baptist University. We yeah. watched the documentary about the 14th Amendment and had about 150 students there okay. talking about it. And he yeah. asked me, I was the token yeah. white conservative evangelical, <laughs> okay. right? You're Chris, always that guy. I'm always that Why guy. Why are you always because that guy? Because I, I am that guy. The He's like, well, what do you think of white privilege? And I'm kind of stammering my way through it because about 40% of the audience were young African Americans. Mm. And he goes, Steve, let me share with you my definition of white privilege. I'm like, okay, this will be good. Go ahead. He goes, I would say of all the challenges that you could face in your life, the one that you haven't faced is based on your skin color. Mm -hmm. I was like, I like that definition. That's true. Because you tell the white, poor white person in Appalachia that they're privileged. Mm-hmm. Or the white kid that's been sexually abused by his dad, mm-hmm. or abandoned, yeah. or just dirt poor, whatever, that they have white privilege, yeah. all you're going to do is offend them. Anyway, that, I'm well, totally that's off important track. because I, I was raised by an ex con. When he was in prison, we lived on food stamps. And I tell people, I was white trash. I was that guy mm-hmm. that lived. So don't tell me I'm white privilege. Great. But I. I assent, give assent to or, or consent to the the application. I've never struggled because of the color right. of my skin. You didn't, you that's didn't, an one problem statement. you didn't have. That's one problem and I did I'm not like, have. So I yeah. always try to find a place yeah. where I can give a little yeah. and agree some, right? Uh, yeah. Which makes it more sure. winsome. Yeah. Anyway, back to the right. back to the painter thing. That's that's the theme. 2008. <laughs> Joe the plumber. Joe the plumber was just at a campaign stop with yeah. Obama. He engaged him on camera. Joe the plumber gets his 15 minutes of fame. Everybody's Mm-hmm. So I was running a house painting company, did that when I was in college in the Midwest, Chicago, Ohio, uh, and, and then got saved after we got married, was running a house painting company in Raleigh, and then started teaching an adult Sunday school class, and uh, one, of our, one of the people in the class was a Raleigh city councilman, and he comes in one Sunday and he's like, hey, we're fighting this homosexual thing down at the city council, and, and we need people to pray for us. Well, three weeks before, there was a pastor that came to this Southern Baptist church to do a revival. Mm-hmm. And I thought, brown suit, three-piece suit, comb over hair, spitting, maybe blood. All right? That's, I've never been around a revival in my whole life. I don't know what this is. But this guy that came in who actually ran for U.S. Senate and stuff was really sharp. <clears throat> and he gave a message that Saturday night out of Nehemiah 2.17. Behold, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls. And some versions say no longer be a disgrace or a reproach. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me. And then he told a story about how they engaged uh, a city thing down in Augusta, Georgia, and the church fought back and won. So then the Raleigh City Council guy comes in literally like three weeks later. And he goes, hey, would you guys pray for me? And I laughed. Usually don't laugh during a prayer request. That's not, especially at when you're church, the teacher. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's really, and people are like, what? I'm like, hey, were any of you guys at the revival thing three weeks ago and the pastor told that story? No? Okay, forget it. Mike, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. So then we ended up making some flyers, put them out at a few different churches, and went to the Raleigh City Council meeting. This was in March of 2004. And we had like 325 people show up. Back to the black pastor, he said, I'll bring some folks. Yeah. Well, when this guy says he's going to bring he's some gonna folks, he's going to bring them, yeah. He's going to bring them. Yeah. And they're going to have signs. And their signs are going to make you uncomfortable in the Raleigh City Council chambers. <laughs> and we lost that day. I had a chance to speak. The speaking thing was right there. I had a chance to speak. That went well. We lost. We come out on the curb, and the pastor says to me, well, Steve, you, you, you guys got all these people down here. you got to say something. So I stood up on a little planter outside the Raleigh City Yeah, your Council podium. Building. There's your my pulpit. podium. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and we had a little piece of paper like this, uh, and we had people's names and email addresses. And I said, okay, we lost today, but I can guarantee you this. We're not going to stop. So we've got your names and your email addresses. We'll send you some information, but this is going to go somewhere. 
And so we'll talk to you soon. And that's when Called to Action was born. Three weeks later, we had an organizing meeting uh, at a Christian kind of uh, governmental platform called the North Carolina Family Policy Council. They used to work with folks in the family. And all these people are there that are activists, and I'm just Steve, the house painter. Talk to my wife, Gina. Sometimes she'll say, I long for the days when we had a simple life. Mm-hmm. We homeschool our four kids. You run your house painting company, and that's it. And that's safe, and that's easy. Yeah, it's safe. But it isn't necessarily kingdom building, yeah. unless it's a small K in the last name of Noble. It yeah. was that kingdom building, but I'm, right. so, it's the biggest thing. I think it was capital K. And so God just opened that door, and I, I put my yes on the table. And he did the rest. Mm-hmm. And you just show up with obedience and faithfulness. Yeah. And activism started, and we did a big event with Dr. Dobson. Four months later, we had 14,000 people there. Wow. A big fish in a small pond. We put out 25,000 voter guides into churches that fall. Mm-hmm. I got involved with some national stuff and still running my house painting company all at the same time. That was the number one question I would get is how do you find time to do all this stuff? I never had an answer. Mm-hmm. It was just supernatural. It's kind of God telling Joshua, right, I'll hold the sun up in the sky for a little longer yeah. than normal and yeah. everything will be fine. Yeah. And then radio came to me in November of 2007 and daily in February 2011. And God sold my business, uh, got me uh part-time employment with the, with our friends at the Harvest Crusades, which was the hole in our budget, and he just provided. It was a huge step of faith. I had tried to sell my business. I wanted to be full-time in ministry. I'm a type A person. I tried to make all that happen, and it didn't. And then within a year, in the matter of about 45 days, God made all of that happen. Yeah. As soon as Steve stopped trying to force a square peg into a round hole, mm-hmm. and God took it. And yeah. so I You'll be shocked what God will do with your obedience yes. and your faithfulness. It does not mean, nor am I telling you, well, I, I can't do what you do. I can't do what I do. I can't be on the radio. I can't be a pastor. Listen, God didn't create you to be me. Exactly. And yeah. you've got a sphere of influence and people you can get to in certain yeah. personality types and experiences that I can't replicate, nor should I. But we all have a place on Nehemiah's wall. Yep. So the question is, what's my place on the wall? Mm-hmm. And yours isn't any bigger or less or more or more significant or less significant than mine. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And are you faithful to what God has called you to do on that wall to build the kingdom? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Yeah. Not is it big or is it small? Right. But are you faithful? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it all happens. It, it's so amazing that, that those simple things, I meet a lot of Christians that... Well, they want significance. Mm-hmm. They want to do something, and they usually have some grandiose idea of what they want to do. And I just tell them, "Well, whatever opportunity God gives you, be faithful with it, and God will." This is this is the principle of the kingdom. If you're faithful with little, He gives you more. If you're faithful with that, He gives you more. If right. you're faithful, is this is the funniest thing I said? Do you know what the reward? I'll tell you. Do you know what the reward for faithful service is? And what? I mean, more service. <laughs> that's what you're right, because that's what it is. It's right. like, oh, you mean I'm gonna I'm already busy. Well, <laughs> then you have to be more selective at your priorities and what God's really calling you to do because now you have all the invitations yeah. and you have to learn how to say yeah. no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. Isn't that true? And Steve? the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. In the grace. light of his glory and grace. And yeah. the things that captivated you before will get smaller. Yeah. And the kingdom things will get bigger. Mm-hmm. And you'll live a life of significance that you didn't even know existed. Amen. Yeah. And that's where, and again, yeah. that could happen to you serving in the children's program. Yeah. 
or just loving your neighbors well, or how you raise your kids. I mean, again, I think we, we say, I'm not Babe Ruth, therefore I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. No, you're a child of the Most High God, mm-hmm. completely filled with the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You mm-hmm. are immensely significant. Yes. And God will bring great fruit out of your small mustard seed mm-hmm. of faithfulness. You just got to be faithful. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't turn into a radio show... God bless you. Who cares? It, it's significant. You're yeah. significant. Jesus died for you. And then he doesn't put you on the shelf. There was nothing to do here. You just get saved and get out. Mm-hmm. But he leaves us here. Yeah. And now we're in 2020 and we get to have these conversations. Yes. Gospel saturated yeah. because, hey, a little thing here. Politics is important, but the gospel is preeminent. Yes. America will not last forever. We talk about saving Americans. How often do we think about seeing Americans saved? Mm -hmm. That's what the Harvest Crusade stuff did to me. Hardcore Christian political activists. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I looked out at the masses and literally I would say, how the hell with them? Mm -hmm. They're mostly liberals. And then the Harvest Crusade, I'm like, holy cow. Here's some brothers and sisters in the body with Greg, Lori, and and the Crusades that are pouring themselves out really just for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I got a taste of that. And I'm like, wow, there's so much more here than political expediency. And again, politics is important because it affects people made in the image of God. But it's not preeminent because America and politics won't last forever. Souls do. And they're only got two options, heaven or hell. And so don't get your priorities mixed up. Mm -hmm. We can do both. One should be more important than the other. And I think that that's the thing where people get lost Mm -hmm. in that... um, for me as a pastor in, our, in, a, in the Calvary Chapel movement in general, um, to be political in the pulpit was look, really looked down upon. Mm-hmm. You preach the gospel, you disciple people, we teach the word verse by verse. We're very passionate people about God's word and Jesus. And, um, and then a decade ago, I met Rob McCoy, who is very passionate about Christianity. And he is also uh, very um, passionate about engaging the culture, which for most of us on that divide we were talking about, was very uncomfortable yeah, for yeah. people to go across. But he has been traversing it for a long time. But even though most people know Rob in this, um, because this has brought such visibility yeah. with his heart and his passion, and he's very articulate about his Christianity and his citizenship. Those two things are not exclusive. They're together. Yeah, we're dual citizens. We're dual citizens of heaven and the United States. But... Uh, we're still preaching the gospel. We baptized 85 people on Sunday morning, just like three or four wow, Sundays praise ago. Praise that's awesome. And, and that's not, people aren't necessarily seeing that because that's not a Fox News clip, right? right, right? right. But we're preaching the gospel, and that's the thing that has kept, te- kept me going for being a pastor for 31 years, mm-hmm. is I pray with one person, and I re- it takes me back to that moment. And it's very much what David talked about Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Yeah, yeah. When you see somebody with, that's broken like you were, and they come to Jesus, and you're a part of that. Yeah. And I was just praying with a couple last night that are devastated through some things that went on. And, and we prayed together and just had a, you know, it was just that moment of seeing the hope in their eyes, yeah. that who Jesus is, in the office. And afterwards, as we prayed, <laughs> they jokingly said, would you just come 
you know, sleep over at our house to bring this peace that we've just, you know, tapped into. I'm like, oh, you want a slumber party? And we joked about it. But it's once you discover that peace of yeah. God, oh, man. right? It's like you want to take it home with you. Uh, but the thing, the beauty is you don't have to take the preacher home to experience right. that. Right. Praise God. Praise God. Right. <laughs> but what you said earlier about, well, people say, well, well how do I, I, I'm often encouraging people, you want to be used by God? Just wake up every day and do two simple things. Love God with all your heart. Offer yourself to Him as that in prayer. And then love the people that He puts in your path. And whatever, it's Him who works in you to will and do do His good pleasure. So He's going to give you desires to do things that are simple Mm -hmm. and anointed and Mm life-changing for that person that you're doing. And if it ever grows into something else, great. But we're not, uh, all of us aren't trying to climb Mount Everest. We're just trying to be used. I just started teaching Sunday school and loved it. I thought that's not all. I was a tile setter. I'm going to teach Sunday school. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. I didn't want to do anything else. And then God just kept giving more the more faithful yeah. I was. Yeah. And then you end up preaching and, yeah. and, and doing those things. So, yeah, and I think, I think the, <sighs> you have to remember, Gina, my wife and I are, are, are learning through this right now that, mm-hmm. God wants to give us a whole lot more, and we settle for a whole lot less. I agree with that wholeheartedly, yeah. Well, he came for abundant life, right? Abundant life. And we're living a mediocre life, and then we go, Jesus, where's the abundant life? He's like, because you're really not inviting me into the flow of what you got going on. You're doing your own thing, your little kingdom. God's way works every time it's tried. Yeah. Not necessarily immediately, but it always works every time it's tried. And we have to, sometimes we just have never tasted you never taste and see that it is good. Yeah. So I'll try it God's way for a couple days, yeah. for a couple of weeks. I'll deal with my lust for three weeks and see how that goes. And then, but God wants to give us so much more, and I think we settle for so much less, which is kind of funny as Americans because we're pretty hungry. We're all about the more. We're all about right. the more. But then, in the one thing that actually does deliver, we'll settle for less. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And so again, I, I would just caution all of us, whether we're talking about politics, which is important, mm-hmm. um, talking about sexual ethics, talking yeah, about whatever. the economy, sure. I, I go down any one of these roads, right. but ultimately the prize is in souls. It is. And you look out at Eter- 300... Things that are eternal. Things that are eternal. Things that are eternal. And mm-hmm. so I, we should use the political realm mm-hmm. in 2020 and COVID and Trump and Biden and Harris and Pence and Pelosi, whoever, mm-hmm. to... Have conversations, meaningful conversations with, with the truth, while at the same time always looking for an opportunity to elevate to the eternal, mm-hmm. which is the gospel. Right. And so you do, you do both. You live in both kingdoms. You exercise your citizenship simultaneously. And I'm telling you, well, that is a fulfilling, fulfilling way to live. That's how we engage the culture. I start with people wherever they want to talk about, yeah. right? But I'm always going to the feet mm-hmm. of Jesus. No matter where I, they want to talk about sexuality, they want to talk about the Bible stories, they want to talk about politics, they want to talk about the homeless, whatever it is, I'm always headed to the feet of Jesus. Do you have a secret agenda? (laughs) I do. But but I have to, in the early days, I would not care enough about them in the journey. And so that's the thing the Lord's had to teach me. You know, maybe I'm only going to make a friend. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get all the way to the feet of Jesus. And the Lord knows that, but he still wants me to love and engage and Mm -hmm. care. And um, I don't have to 
break out the four spiritual laws in the first 15 minutes of the that's conversation. Right. That's right. right? That's exactly to, right. To have influence because if somebody meets a genuine loving Christian that can in the smallest way, as Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that we are all living letters known and read by all men. Mm-hmm. That we are the only Bible that some people are going to read. That's right. We're going to be the closest yeah. thing. And don't fall back on the quote that's attributed to Frank, St. Saint Francis of Assisi. Yes. No, that's a... That's a at all words. times, preach the gospel, and when absolutely necessary, use words. And then I hear Paul over in the corner going, Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And help you from the feet of those who bring the good news. Oh, so at some point, you actually need to share the gospel. <laughs> uh, I love people that love that quote. But it's it's it falls very short. But once again, yeah. whenever I hear that, yeah. that's a gospel on ramp to me. It is every time somebody says, and this is very popular in our culture, yeah. and to a certain extent around the world. Yeah. Hey, hey, it's kind of a Rodney King evangelism. Mm-hmm. We're all God's children. Okay. Can't we all just get on? We're all God's children, and I'll go. Yeah, actually, yeah. we're all God's special creation. Every human being ever created is made in God's image. It is estimable worth, yeah. worthy of dignity and respect and love. Yeah. Uh, but we're actually not all his children. Mm-hmm. Only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are given the right to be called sons and daughters children of God. God. Yeah, and right. and there, once again, mm-hmm. I'm back to the gospel. Yeah, but you 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 engage that yeah, on ramp, engage and, it, and lots of on ramp. So, yeah. um, what do you think is right now with everything? If you the mountain of COVID. The election uh, fraud uh, litigation, the White House. Boil it all down. What is the one burning thing in your heart right now that Steve Noble is like, you know, if you could just still think, you know, this is the one thing out of all of this um, that is really, you've either got clarity or you have a passion to um, speak to as we wrap it up. We're running out of time. People will, over the years, people will say, wow, Steve, you sure are passionate. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would answer ver- verbally, but other, most of the time I was just mulling that over in my head and go, am I, am I passionate? I think, I think the more accurate word would be desperate. I think I'm desperate more than I'm passionate. And one of the things that's so strange about this year in 2020 is, is we see things that, that look and feel, I mean, so much has happened in, first we, I was saying that when it was three months, and then it was six months, and then it's nine months, and now it's 10 months, coming up in 11 months. And we're going to be on Mar- at March 1st, before you know it, it'll be a year. So much has mm-hmm. happened in a mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And I sit there and go, it, boy, all this stuff starts mm-hmm. to look and smell and, and feel like and mm-hmm. sound like, like more of an end times kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And 12 months ago, I wouldn't say half the things that I'm saying today. Is America in a civil war? Well, we're definitely in a cold civil war, on the edge of a hot civil war. Uh, Election fraud, all that stuff. 12 months ago, I'd be like, yeah, easy, tiger. Now I'm like, yeah, this stuff's all over the place. Uh, We are running out of time. And I think what's difficult for us as Christians, if you're a born-again believer, is that we, we understand eschatology a little bit. We understand end times. We go to the conferences. You want to sell out a conference, do it on Revelation and end times. Everybody will be there. We just never really expected that we would go through it. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it's something like that. Mm-hmm. And things are speeding up. And you see the devil distracting us. Mm-hmm. 
as we fight amongst ourselves about masks mm-hmm. or no masks, which is a worthy conversation, but mm-hmm. we're running out of time, folks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Jesus is coming back next week or in my lifetime, but I know he's, today he's one day closer than he was yesterday, yeah. and things are spinning, and the overall trajectory of the world is not up, it's down. And, and we could get all distracted thinking that Washington, D.C. is the big prize, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Satan wants you to think. But the big prize is the human heart. Yeah. And so as the days get darker, what an opportunity yeah. for us. I, was just, I, I have 88 students every week. I teach high school-age homeschoolers, Christian ethics and a two-semester constitution class. And I said, if you're freaking out about all this stuff, you better check the foundation of your house. Because if your foundation is built on the things of man or the politics or the state of this nation or who's in the White House, mm-hmm. your foundation is going to get rocked. Yeah. But if your foundation is built on the faith in Jesus Christ, which is immovable, the mm-hmm. same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, mm-hmm. you're going to have this strange aloofness and joy. I can, in the middle of all this garbage, I can still smile. Amen. I can still laugh. Yeah. I can still enjoy meeting a new friend yeah. that, that you're gonna you're stuck yeah. with me forever, bro. I mean, sorry. We're gonna be in heaven together forever. Yeah. And and there's this aloofness. We should be passionate and engaged, but also peculiar. Mm-hmm. I'm deeply broken about the state of the nation. Mm-hmm. But I'm also free of it. Mm-hmm. All at the same time, it's this strange tension of the Christian life. It's paradoxical. It's the paradoxical. Cri- the Christian life. And I think that we can get so engaged we lose sight of that. Oh, yeah. And I think that even with the, the election and things, hey, the, the Savior is never going to come through the White House. Mm-hmm. We, want, we want a Christian worldview sure. human that is close as we can get yeah. to our political yeah. uh, representation in a public republic. But uh, if we don't get that, Jesus is still Lord, right? And so um, not losing sight of yeah. that and having joy in the Lord. And, and Paul had incredible effectiveness and joy in a very uh, unbelievable Roman government. Unbelievable. Pray for Nero. those in authority over you, like Nero. Right, was uh, in, in charge. Who uses Christians for tiki torches and married one of his horses. Right. Yeah. Pray for that guy? Pray yeah. for you want me to pray for Kamala Harris? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray for him. But what a great opportunity! Yeah, it is Again, an opportunity. I, I'm broken in so many ways. Yeah. Listen, I'm out in front of abortion clinics about forty weeks a year, forty Saturdays a year. I, I've seen all that stuff. I, I mean, I, I'm up to the stuff in my eyeballs, up to my eyeballs, and I'm deeply broken. But on the other hand, I'm completely free. Mm-hmm. And so what an opportunity we have to be both, to be engaged and aloof, to be passionate and peculiar, and to be able to muster a smile on your face even when the blood is flowing. And and what an opportunity. We've got to seize the day, carpe diem, for the kingdom and for the cause of Christ. I I mean, it's never been more pregnant with opportunity in my lifetime than it is today. Yeah, and I agree. I think that this this is the most exciting time to live. I tell people... Uh, even with a face diaper on. It, even with a face that This is exciting because people are hungry. They're looking for answers, which is, once again, we're heading towards the feet of Jesus. He's our, he's our Savior, and uh, he's our great hope. Yeah. And we look for him who is the blessed hope, as Paul, uh, writing to Titus, tells us his return is such a um, joy. Well, it's been so fun. We've uh, You have... Uh, 
successfully pulled off your coup, turned this into the Steve <laughs> Noble show from East Coast. You're now 33 in- syndicated. Infecting out- like right. COVID-19. Exactly. The- California yeah. caliphate. Right, exactly. <laughs> you you are as contagious as COVID, three <laughs> times more than the average cold. So we're so thankful for our time. And we um, end our show uh, with uh, a prayer Amen. for those who are listening. So why don't you pray for our audience, and then we'll give them the blessing. All right, great. Okay. Sounds good. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you. What an incredible privilege to be able to cut through all the red tape of a priest and a church and a in a and a program to be able to come right into your throne room mm-hmm. uh, where I don't even have to throw the doors open. You already threw them open. You ripped the curtain in half from the top to the bottom and gave us access through your son to the Holy mm-hmm. of Holies. What an incredible privilege to be able to pray mm-hmm. openly and without reservation and without fear of anything, really. So thank you for that privilege that uh, we are called sons and daughters of God only through faith in Jesus Christ. So I just want to pray, Lord, for, for perhaps the people watching uh, this particular episode that think they're Christians because they believe in you. They go to church, they're decent people, but they actually don't know what it means to be born again. Mm-hmm. So I pray, Lord, that they would ask that question. Well, what's the deal with that? What do you mean decent people don't go to heaven? Only forgiven people go to heaven. Are you forgiven? Lord, for anybody that's listening that's not mm-hmm. sure that if today is the last day, they know for a fact they would in an instant wake up and see your face. If they're just not sure, I hope so, I think so, maybe. That they would ask somebody, how can I know for sure that I'm going to go to heaven when I die? Mm-hmm. And I pray for that, Lord. But I pray for this nation. We pray for the president. Mm-hmm. We pray for whoever the next president is, Lord. Mm-hmm. You told us to pray for those in authority of, over us so that mm-hmm. we could live quiet and peaceable lives, but not apathetic lives. That's not a off-ramp from the highway of engagement, Father. So I pray for everybody listening and watching that we would ask that question. What are we doing with the opportunities we've been given? And help us to be... Uh, impact players for the kingdom, Lord, and the little spheres of influence that you give us in our family, in our neighborhood, at work, wherever it is. Give us courage, Lord, but winsomeness. Help us to Mm -hmm. be people of truth and grace, of compassion and patience, ready to give an answer for Mm -hmm. the hope that we have, but to do Mm -hmm. so with gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm. And Lord, just help us to be really peculiar in these dark days Mm -hmm. that we, uh, like Paul said himself, I've become all things to all men that by God's grace I might win some. And we hope that we'll do that, Lord, and we'll do it well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us, Eve. What a blessing. My pleasure. We want to send you guys off with a blessing and pray that our time tonight would be an encouragement to your heart. So thanks for joining us. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless.